Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We've been seeing the effect or the affect of the Lord's display of his sovereign rule wear off in both Pharaoh and the Israelites, where Pharaoh uh, turns or, or uh, looks at the leaving Israelites, forgetting what has just transpired and seeks their demise at the Red Sea. The Israelites, seeing Pharaoh and his army approaching, and despair and murmur in their hearts. Yet the Lord faithful through it all in turning what seemed to be their destruction into their deliverance and the final defeat of their Egyptian enemies. We now observe in Exodus 15 the glorious effects of the Lord's redemption of the Israelites out of the hand of Pharaoh and his army. And by God's will, we will see and by his grace we will see what Christ has prepared us in this passage this morning. Follow along as I read for us the song of Moses in Exodus 15 verses 1 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse For he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his armies he has cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. 
all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, O Lord. Until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea. And the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us go to him for help again in prayer. O Lord, we have heard your word read. Now we ask, Lord, that you would speak again, now through your servant, according to the truth contained in it, that which is exposited according to the rules contained in your word. To show us the glories of our Savior as your word has shown us. O oh Lord, may it be a light to us now and a joy of our salvation. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we have read this morning, we have ascended out of the sea with the Israelites. And we reflect with them upon the Lord's great, both gracious and just character which is at the same time terrible, even detestable to the unbeliever, and yet glorious and praise-inducing in the believer. And it's interesting that the songs of the church drawing upon Scripture have long reflected upon this wondrous reality that we were redeemed out of real and terrible judgment not upon our own worth, but upon the worth of another. Hear the hymns of the church. Some we sing, some we have yet to sing, but there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. This one from when the world is... When, the, when this passing world is done in the second verse, when I hear the wicked call on the rocks and hills to fall, when I see them start and shrink on the fiery deluge brink, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Here's another one from At the Lamb's High Feast we sing the second verse again. Where the paschal blood is poured, death's dark angel sheathes his sword. Israel's hosts triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Praise we Christ whose blood was shed, paschal victim, paschal bread. 
With sincerity and love eat we manna from above. That one very applicable this morning. Here's one based on Psalm 83. Make them like dust and stubble blown are blown before the whirlwind dire, in terror driven before the storm of thy consuming fire. Confound them in their sin till they to thee for pardon fly, till in dismay they trembling, trembling own that thou art God most high. That day of wrath, that dreadful day, When heaven and earth shall pass away. What power shall be the sinner's stay? How shall he meet that dreadful day? When shriveling like a parched scroll, the flaming heavens together roll. When louder yet and yet more dread swells the high trump that wakes the dead. Oh, on that day, that wrathful day, When man to judgment wakes from clay, be thou the trembling sinner's stay, though heaven and earth shall pass away. These hymns of the church are are but a sampling of songs that reflect Moses' song here in Scripture, where there's a rejoicing at the destruction of, of real people, but the but as seen as they were, the enemies of Yahweh and his people. Could we, with the veiled and concealed ancient church, sing this song of Moses? We find in it uh, a predecessor of the imprecatory psalms. I don't know if you know what an imprecatory psalm is, but these are psalms that call upon the Lord to judge his enemies with complete destruction. Turn with me to Psalm 137, just for an example. Here we're introduced to to, um, what become... Uh, two enemies of Israel will become typological enemies of the people of God. In verse 1, beginning of verse 1, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded us, demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom in the day of of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. 
that is an imprecatory psalm. That is in light with the song of Moses, where the Lord, with the blast of his nostrils, the waters were piled up, and then with the breath he brings it upon Pharaoh and his armies. Here what we have before us and what we will think about this morning with the song of Moses is we will think, how can we sing Psalm 137 as New Covenant believers? How can we sing the song of Moses as New Covenant believers? And I think what we will see very explicitly and specifically about the song of Moses is that one day we will sing it again. We will sing the song of Moses again at the destruction of God's enemies. And it will be to the glorious praise of Yahweh, our Savior. Let's look at this psalm first at hand. Here the theme of this psalm is what the Lord had done. He had delivered his people and destroyed their enemies. Israel began by magnifying the Lord because in overthrowing the strength of Egypt, he had glorified himself. The Lord is righteous and just. Nothing impure can stand before him. He receives glory at the destruction of impurity because he is purity. If he could withstand impurity in his essence, he would not be worthy of all honor and praise. And so when his justice meets unrighteousness, his righteousness meets unrighteousness, It is to his glorious praise that that unrighteousness is judged because it proclaims his righteousness, who he is. Yet here we have, because of God's gracious condescension, because of his gracious consideration that he would have a people to worship him forever in his presence, pure as he is Pure because they will be conformed to his likeness in that way, yet not like him in his essence. For the finite cannot become the infinite. He, we have it two sides of the same coin. Judgment and redemption. Both giving the Lord glory. They praise God because he had dealt in judgment with those who so stoutly defied him. Ten plagues. Ten plagues. Egypt did not turn to Yahweh after the first plague when when Moses, by God's power, turns the Nile into blood. What of the frogs when they come out and they overcome the land? Did they then turn to Yahweh and proclaim Him to be Lord and seek to worship Him according to Yahweh's law? No, they did not. Even at the death of their firstborn son. Egypt as a whole, certainly Pharaoh as its figurehead, defied the Lord even to the point of chasing them to destroy them at the Red Sea. 
So they praised God because he had dealt in judgment with those who stoutly defied him. They looked at things from the divine viewpoint. They they referred to Pharaoh and his hosts as God's enemies. You see the personal pronouns there of you and your. They were God's enemies. Not necessarily Israel's enemies. They were God's enemies. The song expresses at least two effects of the Lord's redeeming judgment. That they would be brought near to God and that they are given lives to live to the Lord first expressed in sacred worship. They're drawn near to God as it says that He brings them out to His holy habitation. But it begins with verse 1 when it says, I will sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. There's the connecting the Lord's judgment upon Pharaoh and his army to him being highly exalted. It is a sweet thing to rejoice in God's mercy, but far sweeter to rejoice in the God of our mercies. We seek to worship the Lord. Yes, we rejoice and we wonder at the mercies given to us in Christ. But if we only recognize the mercies and don't recognize the one who is merciful, we have quite missed the point of the mercy itself. The song continues that the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will extol him. Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice? Hear the question of Pharaoh. No silenced now. But reverberating here in this song, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Or Yahweh is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. This Lord that is a warrior is something that the Spirit continues to expand upon. And he expands upon this in Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 32. Let's see the warrior Lord in Ezekiel 32. Turn with me there. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. You're looking for it. The intro to this, uh, what's titled as a lament over Pharaoh in Egypt, comes in verses 1 and 2. It is in the twelfth year of the twelfth month on the first of the month. The word of the Lord came to me and said, Son of man, take up a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
and say to him, You compared yourself to a young lion of the nations, yet you are like the monster in the seas. And you burst forth in your rivers and muddied the waters with your feet and fouled their rivers. And then in verses 3 through 10, we see the terrible judgment of the Lord who is a warrior. Thus says the Lord God, now I will spread my net over you with a company of many peoples and they shall lift you up in my net. I will leave you on the land. I will cast you on the open field. Here he's continuing that um, a depiction of Pharaoh as a monster in the sea. So to bring him up upon the land and cast him upon an open sea would be to the death of a sea monster who requires the sea to live. And I will cause all the birds of the heavens to dwell on you. And I will satisfy the beasts of the whole earth with you. And I will lay your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your refuse. I will also make the land drink the discharge of your blood as far as the mountains and the ravines will be full of you. And I will extinguish you and I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens I will darken over you. I will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord. Much likened to the first exodus here. As Ezekiel, or as the Spirit of the Lord through Ezekiel speaks of a time when Pharaoh will be overthrown again. Another Pharaoh, a Pharaoh type. One who is compared to a serpent of the sea. The Lord had promised to bring his redeemed into Canaan. The haughty Egyptians thought to resist the purpose of the Most High with loud boastings on what they would do. They followed Israel into the parted waves of the Red Sea. With one breath of his mouth, the Lord overthrew the marshaled forces of the enemy in their mightiest array as nothing more than a cobweb which stood in the pathway of the onward march of his eternal counsels. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is a warrior. Turn back to Exodus 15. We see in verse 6 of our song, Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemies. Let's look again at an expansive understanding in Psalm 98. O sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Consider the effect of the Lord's work at the Red Sea. When the peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. 
All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread all fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Rahab testified to this, did she not? We read it as we read through Joshua. She said, everyone, all their hearts are melted before you. We heard of what the Lord had done. Yet Jericho did not turn over the key to the city to the Israelites. Moab met them in battle. The five kings of the northern met them in battle. The Lord is a warrior. His right hand is majestic in power. His right hand shatters the enemy. This should be this should be in some way a testimony of your life in Christ. At some point in time, you and your life in Christ should have recognized that you are an enemy of the Lord and to be an enemy of the Lord is to stand opposed to his majestic power. To know something of his judgment that shatters his enemies. That he is a warrior. You may not have put it in those words. You may not have thought it in those thoughts. But you should come to understand, if not then, now the burning anger of the Lord that consumes the wicked as chaff. For if you do not put your faith in Christ, if your faith is not in one who has withstood the wrath that was due to you, then you are due that wrath. Here, the Israelites, reflecting upon God's redemption, this mighty act of the Lord, parting seas for them to walk through on dry ground, and then it to come crashing down on the Egyptians. They now reflect on it in verse verse 13. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. This was a new standing the Israelites experienced before God. For now they were brought near to God, into his very presence. This is is the effects of God's redemption out of Egypt. He would draw them to his holy mountain. He would bring them to Sinai to covenant with them, to be a God to them and them to be his people, to offer them a land flowing with milk and honey, prosperous they may be. He would offer that. He would offer their stay and prosperity on the condition of their obedience according to the old covenant. Yet contained, encased in the old covenant was the promise of the new that he in providing a land and providing a people he would bring out of this people the very one who would redeem all the nations of the earth or redeem a people out of all the nations of the earth 
Lord's redemption not only calms or quells the wrath of God, but it quiets the enemies of God, sends them into dismay. You understand that when you're beset by temptations of the flesh, by the influence of this world, or by even maybe the suggestions of the evil one, all those things are acting upon this terror and trembling. I think sometimes we come to temptation and think it has the upper hand, that it has the ability to uh, affect great eternal harm upon us, or lasting harm. Yet the enemies of God have been defeated and they tremble, or trembling grips them. How else could we be called to resist the evil one and think that he would flee from us if he was not a trembling foe? If he was not a foe cast down out of heaven as Revelation describes it? these redemption effects is that they would be first brought near and then they would be caused to engage in sacred worship. Look at verse 17. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Truly, they spoke of what they did not know. Could they have imagined Jerusalem and the temple and the glory of the temple? No. And even more so, they could not have imagined the glory of the, temp- of the true temple of God. The glory that is... a holy and righteous people being fitted together to reflect God's glory to him, back to him. Like the Israelites. Here, they're engaged in sacred worship. Here expressed in Old Covenant worship, which is type and shadow of the worship afforded through Christ in the New Covenant. So like the Israelites, the redemptive effects are at least twofold for us we are brought near to God and given lives to live to the Lord first expressed in sacred worship they anticipate coming to the Lord and to worship him they offer him this song of praise but it's in anticipation that they would worship him in a in a, in a holy habitation, in a dwelling, in a sanctuary, where they shall proclaim that the Lord shall reign forever. We too, like the Israelites, have been brought near to God through Christ. And it is by this we've been given lives to live to the Lord first, expressed and sacred worship. And then one day as we worship Him, as we worship Him now, we look forward to the day when 
We will not be separated as we prayed by distance with our brothers and sisters all over this world and even all over time. But we will worship together and we will sing the song of Moses. Turn with me to Revelation 15. Oh, what marvelous things there are to say about Revelation 15. We will limit, I will limit my comments to verse 3. But, and, and a little bit following. But what we have here is uh, we see that uh, John is given a vision. As we know, he's on the island of Patmos and the Lord visits him in vision. And he shows them of, of what has transpired and what will transpire. And it says here at the beginning of 15, I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. So it should come in some ways, as we read Exodus 15, as no surprise, and they sang the song of Moses the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Just as the Israelites praise God by the sea after he had delivered them from Pharaoh, so the church praises God for defeating the beasts on its behalf. Here G.K. Beale observes that this redemption through Christ has brought to supreme expression how he demonstrates his justice. Those trusting in Christ have the penalty of their sin paid for, his paid for by his blood, but those rejecting the divine provision will bear their own penalty for sin. Psalm 98 is quoted here in Revelation 15. And Bill is such a helpful observer. He makes another observation. He says the same transition of thought, the exodus leading to God's judgment of the nations, is present in Revelation 15, where the song of the first exodus serves as a broad model for the end-time exodus. The seven plagues of the bowl judgments will emphasize this exodus theme. God pours out his judgments on the unbelieving nations over the course of the church age, culminating in his final triumph over the beasts, the latter-day prophet. We don't have time to go back to... 12, Revelation 12, where it talks about the great serpent that comes out of the sea. But we see the connection. We see what God was doing in setting up Pharaoh and hardening his heart. 
as a template or as a type of one who exists unseen and continues to seek to thwart the will of God in the redeeming of his people. For though Pharaoh sought to keep Egypt or Israelites in Egypt, Satan sought to keep Israel from the promise of producing a Messiah. We see it as we recognize typified then in Herod. Herod sought to overthrow a king, to to do put an end to a Jewish king who could threaten his authority. Satan sought to undo the plan of God to bring about the Savior of the world. Only when, only when he's given final ability, he finishes his influence amongst the Jewish leaders and the Roman can't remember his position, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, to put to death the king of glory. Yet, to his dismay and further consternation, it was by that death that the Lord is redeeming a people, bringing them near, bringing them into his holy habitation. So that they would offer him sacred worship. Now in our gathered separated assembly. One day in that glorious united one. And so we are brought near to God. It is an immense thought. And one which when held in power imparts both strength and energy to our souls. That we are even now brought to God. The whole distance measured by the death of Christ on the cross when he was made sin for us has been bridged over, and our position of nearness is marked by the place he now occupies as glorified by the right hand of God in heaven itself. We shall not be near as to our position because it is in Christ. Because we are in Christ, in heaven, we will not be nearer in position than we are now. Though in presence, we will be, as we will be with the Lord. But in position, we sit in the heavenly places with Christ, as Ephesians says. We have been brought near, we have been brought through, we have walked upon the sea of glass mixed with fire, we have walked through the Red Sea. On dry land. The Lord in Christ has consumed the wrath due to us. So that we may draw near. And if we first learn that we are brought to God. We may in any measure walk in accordance with that position. State and walk must ever flow from a known relationship. Unless, therefore, we are taught the truth of our standing before God, we shall never answer, it to, answer to it in our souls or in our walk and conversation. 
And so we come back to the imprecatory psalms and we consider now the song of Moses imprecatory upon the Egyptians and the psalms itself as it drew upon that in other places and speaking of Babylon and Edom and all the other enemies of Israel who were enemies of Yahweh where the Spirit through the psalmist calls for their destruction. How do we as Christians approach them now? Well, with the knowledge of our standing, the means by which we gained it, and the ultimately end of it. So that even in the midst of them, we're not praying for the ultimate demise of our enemies, but we're praying for their repentance. We proclaim their demise so that those that the Lord is redeeming out of Egypt respond. Hear the call of the Lord. Repent and believe. But you are praying for the demise of their works, for they oppose the works of the Lord. We're not going to go out and pray for the eternal damnation and destruction of the enemy. We're going to pray for the repentance and life in the gospel. We can use the precatory psalms as models to pray against those things that hinder the advancement of God's kingdom in this world, such as our own sins, or for people who work actively to promote the harm towards God's people, or even harm towards His common grace world. But we lift our voices, not our swords, as we pray for God either to convert or curse the enemies of Christ and his kingdom. John Newton understood this when he wrote the hymn, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders. Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders. Hark the trumpet's awful sound. Louder than a thousand thunders shakes the vast creation round. How the summons will the sinner's heart confound. See the judge, our nature wearing, clothed in majesty divine. You who long for his appearing, they shall say, this God is mine. Gracious Savior, own me in that day as thine. At his call, the dead awaken, rise to life from earth and sea. All the power of nature shaken by his looks prepare to flee. Careless sinner, what will then become of thee? But to those who have confessed, loved and served the Lord below, he will say, come near ye blessed. See the kingdom I bestow. You forever shall my love and glory know. May this be the song of our hearts and the song of Moses long in our hearts to sing on that great day of the Lord when all things will be made right. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, the song of Moses is your song. It's a testimony to your faithfulness. It is surely a testimony to your righteousness and your justice. Oh, Lord, that your enemies would tremble at the knowledge of their destruction, that they would tremble into repentance. But Lord, that you would thwart the plans of evil men
to undo and oppose your kingdom and your church. But there, that you, as you confound them, Lord, would be gracious enough to reveal the salvation afforded to them in Christ. So we may rejoice with another sinner, another sheep who has found the shepherd. May our hearts be turned to you always in praise. The glory due to your name, both in your righteous judgment and your gracious mercy. We, your people, long for that day when all will be rest. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.